Helen Slater goes to Super Megafest. Blake Neely records music for the CBS pilot. And we talk Supergirl identity. This is Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to CBS's upcoming Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. I'm Teresa Giacino. And I'm Rebecca Johnson. In this episode, we're going to talk about the trade paperback, Supergirl Identity. But first up, we have... The News. Variety and Deadline have started publishing articles about fall TV pilots, and it's caused some concern for people regarding the... uh, CBS Supergirl pilot. Uh, Deadline mentioned Supergirl as a contender for a pickup, while Variety didn't mention it at all, and it caused a little uh, people a little bit of worry. But KryptonSite.com has a great post about why we shouldn't worry, speculating that perhaps the pilot hadn't been delivered to the network yet, or that Variety hadn't seen it. Um, from everything that's been put out there, the show already has a series commitment, which means that if CBS doesn't go through with it, they'll face a penalty. Supergirl might have to deal with a time slot challenge because CBS does have a full lineup, but we won't know anything official until May 13th when the network announces its fall schedule. Yeah, I, from everything we've heard about, about how, how much people are liking it and how well things are going, I'm not really all that worried about it, but it is something to consider. Yeah, it is strange that that uh, you wouldn't be seeing things at this point considering that CBS seems to be really gung-ho about the project. I, I can't imagine they would shelve at this point. Yeah, and there actually might be something to the idea that KryptonSite.com put forth that the pilot hadn't been finished yet because on April 21st, Blake Neely, who is composing the music on CBS's Supergirl series, tweeted, quote, Just recorded our Supergirl score. Excited for you all to hear it. Phenomenal orchestra and fun day. Here we go. So uh, they may not have finished the pilot until last week when they finished the music. So that might be why Variety didn't mention it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, all sorts of things, you know, happen with TV shows. And uh, really, you don't know until you know. So everybody keep your shorts on. Everything's going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah, we'll find Um, (laughs) out something on May 13th. Exactly. Um, Now, uh, according to Telegram.com, uh, Helen Slater talked a little bit about CBS's Supergirl pilot when she was a guest uh, recently at Super Mega Fest Comic Con. She said, quote, I'm in the pilot and have a contract as a guest star, which means they can use me as much as they want. It's all hush hush. Um, she's also praised Greg Berlanti saying, quote, he's such a smart writer. It was such a joy to do the pilot. My fingers are crossed that it goes well because they have a great cast. And uh, Helen Slater went on to speak highly of Melissa Benoist, saying, quote, When I met her, we did the reading, and she was fabulous. She did not need any advice at all. Um, 
Helen Slater also said that Melissa Benoist is, quote, sparkling and funny and delightful. She's going to be awesome. <laughs> That's pretty cool to hear a former Supergirl talk about the current Supergirl. And in more pilot news, on April 22nd, Armin V. Kevorkian, who will be working on the visual effects for CBS's Supergirl, tweeted out, quote, saying farewell to my girl in red and blue and working with an eight-foot gorilla can be exhausting. <laughs> hashtag Supergirl, yeah. hashtag Grodd, hashtag The Flash. <laughs> so it's kind of fun to get these little updates through Twitter, which I, which is kind of why I love Twitter over Facebook is because you get some of these these updates from the people who are working on these things. So I enjoyed seeing stuff like that. Definitely. And I would love, honestly, I hope that Gorilla Grodd makes an appearance on uh, Supergirl as well, <laughs> just because it's a gorilla and that's awesome. <laughs> well, he would be a good foe for her because he's pretty big and she could take yeah. him down. Totally. Um, now, in comics news, uh, comicbookresources.com mentioned that Supergirl looks likely to be getting her own TV series on CBS, but the character doesn't yet have a new solo series. Uh, with the uh, solo comic series, rather, um, with the last one ending pre-convergence. Yet the character will be showing up in July's Justice League 3001, number two, with the solicitation text pre-responding to any skeptics. Trust us, it's actually pretty cool, end quote. Um, so that's interesting. I mean, we're, we've been kind of speculating that uh, there eventually will be a new Supergirl solo series, if only because, you know, the show is going to be airing and... Um, they'll want to use that to get a lot of people back to the comics uh, as well. Um, but at least we know that the character for sure is going to be in Justice League 3001. And uh, apparently that's going to be really cool. Um, but I really am hoping for her own solo title again because I think they need to, uh, to start that one up. In other comics news, Marv Wolfman has a new story featuring Supergirl and Convergence Adventures of Superman. There's a great interview with him talking about that story over at newsarama.com if you want to check that out. And finally, according to dccomics.com, quote, Beginning in fall 2015, DC Entertainment, Warner Brothers Animation, Warner Brothers Consumer Products, and Mattel joined forces to launch DC Superhero Girls, an exciting new universe of superheroic storytelling that helps build character and confidence and empowers girls to discover their true potential. And Supergirl, of course, is going to be a part of that. Um, we actually reported on this over at the Mary Sue, and I was super excited to see, haha, super excited, to see uh, the artwork and, and everything that's going along with that. It looks great, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited that uh, little girls will have more of an opportunity to, to uh, find heroes they identify with. Yeah, and DC Comics says that the initial launch of DC Superhero Girls in fall of 2015 will include an immersive digital experience, original digital content, and digital publishing, providing opportunities for girls to interact with characters, learn about the storylines, and engage in customizable play. TV specials made for videos, toys, apparel, books, and other product categories will begin to roll out in 2016. So it's it's not just comics. It's like everything. So that's, mm -hmm. that's really cool that they're really uh, going to do it up with this launch. And I wonder if this is a response to Rowan, the 11-year-old girl who wrote DC Comics a letter to ask for more female representation with superheroes. Because I think this is kind of a response to that. Definitely. No, there have been so many little girls that, you know, through various mediums have been asking for stuff like this. And uh, 
it's, it looks like it's paying off. So Rowan, if you're listening, good job writing that letter because uh, it looks like they're doing something about it. Yeah, that's one of the lessons that I've learned in life is that it never hurts to ask because you never know what the answer might be. So it, it was great that she at least uh, stepped out and, and asked DC Comics for that and they rewarded her and all of the female gender uh, with that. So I think that's awesome that they're doing that. Seriously. Although I have to say, 11-year-old me was not rewarded when I tried something similar. Oh, no. uh, sh- short story, I uh, I loved the show Alien Nation back in the day, the, uh, the series on Fox that only lasted for one season based on the movie. I loved it. I loved Tank Denise. I wanted to be an alien with a spotted head, all of that. Yeah. And I uh, found out that the show was canceled and I heard about petitions and whatnot for like Star Trek and everything, which I also loved. So I went around trying to collect signatures on loose leaf with like a handwritten petition that I wrote, um, (laughs) trying to get signatures to like save alienation. And I got like 50 signatures or something on a piece of loose leaf. And I sent it to Barry Diller at Fox because I didn't know who to send things to, but I sent it to him. So Barry Diller, if you got a letter with a petition on loose leaf from a little girl in like 1990, um, that was me. And thanks for not putting my show back on. Hey, but that's that still shows that you were a go-getter and that you were doing what you believed in. And I, I'm true. impressed that you got 50 signatures. That's, that's pretty awesome. Not, not that I'm saying alienation was bad. I'm just saying, like, some people probably don't care about that kind of stuff. But you, you got those signatures from those people. So it's, it's true. For you. It's mostly, it was mostly kids on the playground, but whatever. Hey, hey. <laughs> that still counts. We all loved it. Uh, anyway, before I get on too much of a tangent, um, we'll get into this week's topic, uh, which is the trade paperback for Supergirl Identity. Um, the description from DCComics.com says, quote, In this volume, collecting stories from Supergirl number 10 through 19 and the Infinite Holiday Special number 1, Supergirl finally adopts a secret identity, joins the super team The Outsiders, battles Batgirl, and begins a relationship with her new boyfriend, Power Boy. Um, yeah, all of that happens in, in a span of like nine issues, <laughs> and it's insane. Um, so let's talk about that. Uh, first of all, let's talk about Kara. We always kind of start with her character. Um, Rebecca, I mean, what did you think of her through this particular story arc? Which wasn't even really an arc so much. I, I definitely liked it better than Candor, <laughs> better than the Candor trade paperback. And actually, this this one, Identity, helped me put Candor into perspective a little bit about why she was in Candor and that she was kind of... Because this, this Kara was sort of running from her problems, I felt like. She was struggling to figure out what her purpose in life was, what to do about her mission about, to you know, that she's supposed to kill Kal-El. And so she's kind of dealing with this assumption from other people that she wears the S and so that means that her duty is to protect life and the weak from danger and she doesn't know how she feels about that because she doesn't know if that really is what she's supposed to do. Maybe she doesn't want that responsibility. So I really like that because in this story, people are kind of making her deal with it. She she wants to go off dancing and just kind of sit around on the couch. <laughs> and, yeah. and some of these people, like, I guess it's Tara from Teen Titans. They don't really actually call her that, but that's sort of who we're, I think we're supposed to 
assume that is, but the, the oh yeah, no, I think they mentioned her yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so Tara, I th- I thought her her interactions with Supergirl was really interesting because Tara Tara like flat out tells her stuff like you're Supergirl, cousin to Superman, the greatest hero the Earth has, and and Supergirl's like well yeah, but not by choice. You know, there's way too much responsibility for me on so many levels. I'm in a transition period where I'm kind of rethinking the whole miniskirt and cape thing. Like, she yeah. she she kind of tells Tara, like, you know, this is not my choice. This is just something I've kind of been thrown into that, oh, I have this S, and so I have to act a certain way. So I sort of liked the idea that Kara had problems in this, and she had things that she had to deal with and try to figure out her identity, which I think is a really good <laughs> title for this story because she really struggles with it. I have to say it's funny because um, what I thought was interesting as I was reading it was, you know, for the first couple of issues, I uh, I was like, oh, you know, she's kind of just this, you know, just it, it felt so dark to me mm-hmm. and it felt so, you know, just like she didn't care like not like I and I you know in previous incarnations Supergirl always you know she can be snarky and she can be you know not into it but she always seemed to care about people on a certain level whereas in the beginning of this uh this trade she kind of doesn't care I mean she's uh, you know obviously she doesn't want people to die but she doesn't particularly care about saving them she doesn't feel any specific need to help anybody out. And so I'm reading along and it's, you know, dark and not the Supergirl that I am used to or necessarily prefer. And then we get to the the one where she's, you know, it's like Supergirl against herself. Yes. Um, and the, the, the quote unquote real Supergirl and who is it? And we get to the point where, you know, you have the Supergirl who's bright and sunny and cheery. And, oh, the real Supergirl would never feel like that because the real Supergirl smiles through everything and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden I feel like this huge jerk for expecting that of Kara <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> I felt like that issue kind of hit just to smack me in the face. Like it it, it came at the right time to be like, hey, all that stuff that you're – all that, you know, negative – stuff that you're thinking about Kara, stop it because she has every right to, you know, have an off day as anybody else. I felt the exact same way. That's so funny that you say that because I, when that part comes up in the story, I was really legitimately and genuinely conflicted over which one was the real Supergirl. Yeah. (laughs) Because part of me liked this idea that, oh, she's got problems just like us, you know, that, that really hit something with me that, you know, somebody even with her superpowers had to deal with the conflict of whether or not it was okay to maybe be mean to someone else or, you know, uh, whether or not it was okay to bully somebody. Like, she actually struggled with that. She was like, well, this was mean to do this to this other kid in my school, right? I, I'm not sure, but I think that's that's mean. And so she sort of struggled with that. And in and, and, and turn, she got bullied too. So she had all these real world problems that were happening to her. But at the same time, I'm like you, Teresa. I was like, but this this other Supergirl makes a really good point she, that, yeah. you know, Supergirl does the right thing. She doesn't give into bullying. She she should be happy and fiery and inspirational and all those things that this other Supergirl was saying. And I was like, well, she, she that's a good argument. I, I buy into that. And so I was really conflicted for a couple of pages over which one really was the real Supergirl. So I thought that was a real strong part in the story that I actually doubted the Supergirl that we were hanging out with in the beginning of the story. 
Yeah. And I actually thought it was interesting in that particular issue that it looked like for, for a brief moment anyway, we had a Supergirl of color. Because um, the way she's drawn, and I don't know um, if that's supposed to be reflective of... Because uh, there's like a black character that's drawn um, in the scenes from the high school where you kind of see there's like a blonde black girl kind of dealing with a whole bunch of crap and having problems. Mm -hmm. And then this new Supergirl kind of has her face. Um, And so I thought that was really interesting that they, that, you know, that they went that way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. She definitely had a lot of different looks uh, the way she was drawn throughout the story. And I I think that was really cool to those different takes. Yeah. By the artists. Although I, I do have to say it was, especially since we were leading up to, uh, to an issue with several Supergirls, um, that the, the, the artwork kind of reading this all at once in a trade, it made it a little confusing that every, it seemed like every issue we were getting a new Supergirl. And uh, that might have been part of the point to show, you know, the different sides of her. Right. There's, you know, all of that. But it does make it kind of difficult to follow because, like, there are times when I'm looking at her and she looks 16. There are times when she looks 25. There are times when she looks 12. And I'm like, where is Supergirl in her journey? It's kind of, you know, the artwork was kind of all over the place. Um, I kind of wish the artists, I mean, I don't know if the artists had some kind of a meeting or whatever, but um, where they could have kind of all decided, okay, let's make sure she looks, you know, 16, 17 and, and cap it. Right, right. That's a good point. I, I didn't think about that, but that is that is true. That the the pro to that is it does sort of make it so that like you don't know which Supergirl is kind of the real one, but at the same time, it is kind of nice to have that continuity throughout the issues to feel like you're going with this same version of Supergirl all the way through her story. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, uh, obviously, I'm coming to this late in the game. Like this is from what 2006, uh, and you know, I'm reading the trade years later, all in one book. I didn't, you know, have the benefit of, you know, the space between individual issues. Um, so maybe people who read it originally uh, didn't have that problem when they read it. Um, right, right. Actually, I'd be curious to to find out from people who did read it when it first came out or who read it in single issues uh, what they think of that specifically, The uh, how the artwork affects, how the changes in artwork and, and the... Uh, drawing of Kara Zor-El uh, affects your enjoyment of the story. Um, but in addition to the stuff with the, you know, battling herself, there's also the, you know, kind of age-old battling high school um, <laughs> that she's kind of, you know, going through as well. Um, but that's more like the, we, we see that in the the last trade that we read, um, but now she just kind of says, you know, screw high school, um, which, you know, is an interesting choice. She kind of gives up on it. And, and you know, after the first couple of issues, she's like, you know what? Yeah, this is stupid. I'm not going to tr- even bother. Um, but what I love is that after this whole journey, she kind of goes back and checks in with the students right. that she had started to befriend. Um, so what did you think about that and, and her relationships with those characters? Yeah, part of me is like, oh, 
that that other Supergirl made a really good point in the in the story where she says Super Supergirl never quits, never gives up. And I sort of felt like the Supergirl who tried the high school experience. I I sort of feel like she gave up. She quit because it got hard. And for real life people or students in high schools, I mean, you can drop out. You can quit high school, but it's it's part of a a way to build character to kind of push through that. And so I think people who make it out of high school are all the better for it because they they kind of are able to get through it. And I think it was really fitting that Boomer gives Kara some prison films to watch yeah, so she can prepare for high school because, you know, going to school should not be as hard as it is, but high school really can be a, a place where it does test you and it does try your patience because it is sort of like that where – People are, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, out to get you, like the the girl who um, bullies Kara later. Like, it's it's it can be a tough battleground, uh, which is unfortunate because it shouldn't be like that. It should be a place of learning and a place where you make friends. But sometimes, unfortunately, it's not always like that. But I liked that they made a point to say that, uh, well, Cassie does. Cassie gives Kara advice about high school, and she says, in high school, everyone has a secret identity. Mm-hmm. And don't make the mistake of thinking that just because you're Supergirl, high school won't be tough. Right. So I, I liked the idea that, yeah, I mean, when I was in high school, I mean, you you would see people all the time who were one way in one setting and were, you know, another way in another. So I think it is true that, I mean, I think that's true of everybody at any age that you can have a secret identity. So I thought that was really a, a strong point to make about high school, that it's tough and everybody has secret identities. And I th- I like that Supergirl goes through that. Um, yeah. And, and I, like I said, I don't, I don't really like that she gives up, but I can see why she did because she says, you know, I want to be myself. I think it's a lot easier to be myself. And I think when she kind of drops the secret identity thing then she's able to go after trying to find that mission that she struggles with the whole time in the story yeah no and it's and it's you know it's interesting because I lately I've been thinking about you know high school and whether or not you know if I ever have children one day like what how I want them to approach education because there are alternatives to high school. You know, there's, you know, people talk about homeschooling and they, they worry about like people in cults, but you know, a lot of really smart high schoolers are homeschooled because one, they can study at their own pace. And especially if they're advanced, if they're like gifted kids or whatever, they can get what they need um, and not have to, you know, tend to the middle. And two, they, you know, it can be just a social, um, as regular high school, because you, uh, if you're homeschooled, there's like a homeschooling association that plugs you into, um, that plugs you into uh, your local district, and so you can still participate in activities and stuff like that. So you can make friends and join drama club and whatever. Um, but it's like you can kind of not be a part of the high school experience and still be a part of the uh, high school experience. And um, it's just interesting to see Supergirl kind of choose not to go, but then she kind of takes what she wants from it. Um, and she is a good influence to the people there so that they can make choices about how they want to be. Um, I actually really love to the character of Sarah. Um, Mm -hmm. and as a fat girl myself, this, you know, hit really close to home. Sarah is the, uh, the girl that they invite to the slumber party. Um, 
and they they play this game where they all strip down to their underwear and all the girls are like super hot and skinny and Sarah's the big girl in her underwear and they're all like circling body parts they don't like mm-hmm. and she's like got a million circles around her. Um, and then the next day at school, I think somebody makes a joke like there's not enough lipstick to circle her whole body. Right. Um, and it was interesting because I love how – Kara kind of goes back to her at the end and because of what Kara had said, you know, she leaves high school and she's like, you know, be yourself, you know, I I can't be here because I can't be myself here. And she inspires Sarah to kind of not care what people think and just kind of be herself. And that confidence that she learns ends up, you know, getting her a boyfriend and making (laughs) her feel feel better in her skin. And, And she has a great line where she's like, you know, yeah, so I might not like vegetables. So what? Like... (laughs) Um, and I thought that was, that was great that, uh, that Kara in particular came back to people like that, that, you know, weren't the popular kids and that, that were the ones being kind of the most picked on and helped them find their confidence and find their way. And I think one thing that's important to mention is that when you look at the page where they have all the girls like marking their places on their bodies, it's not Mm -hmm. just Sarah in that picture who has markings on their body even the the quote hot skinny girls oh have, yeah have things that they've circled on themselves so everyone I think what that was trying to show was that everyone is self-conscious about their bodies and about what they look like and and how they're perceived and I I think what the the great lesson that Sarah learns at the end is that she can have confidence no matter what she looks like you know it's it's about who she uh thinks that she is and who she believes you know all this this self-esteem that Supergirl sort of um helps her realize I think that's the important thing that uh she takes away from it and I think it's cool that this Supergirl that we're we're with through the majority of the story is the one who inspires her because that sort of dark Supergirl, the fake Supergirl. She's the one who's like, Supergirl should be inspirational. And she is at the end of the story. So I think that proved that she was the real Supergirl because she did inspire someone to be themselves and have confidence. Yeah, definitely. Although I have to say, you know, uh, I kind of feel like, I mean, yes, she's got the superpowers. Yes, there's there's other stuff going on with her. But I feel like if a girl who looked like Kara zor went to high school she'd be fine. Like she, you know, like I feel like they, they might've been laying it on a little thick with the after school specialness of it. Um, cause honestly, you know, a girl like Kara, even as a brunette walks down the hall, she's going to be all right. She's not the person that's necessarily going to have the same problems as, you know, I mean, everybody has problems. And, and like you said, even the, the skinny girls were circling parts of their bodies. Um, and, you know, that's a whole other issue and that's a whole other set of problems. But um, I just think it's interesting that they examine this stuff through Kara because I feel like she wouldn't be the person that would be dealing with a lot of this stuff that she ends up dealing with. Well, um, she was okay, but then it was like that other girl who was like, hands off my boyfriend. Like, uh, <laughs> she, you know, she, she did have another set of problems that some other people like Sarah didn't have. But I re- it's true. But I really gravitated towards Kara's problem because she does sort of participate in doing something mean to Sarah. And she struggles with that because she says, you know, we do that a lot. We make mistakes, don't we? You know, things mm-hmm. we know we shouldn't. And I, when I was reading that, I was like, I do that all the time. Yeah. Um, all the time, you know, 
you know, if you follow me on Twitter, sometimes I rage on Twitter because I don't like something that happened in a TV show. And like, I'm like, all right, that was over the top. I shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. Why did I even say that? Or, you know, like just, you know, all the time we're walking through life and we're doing things, we're saying things, we're even thinking things that maybe we know we shouldn't do. And it's just so interesting that Supergirl has this realization that those are mistakes that you know, very human people make on earth. And even yeah. <laughs> with all with, with all her superpowers, she's, she's still making them too. Definitely. Um, and you know, it's funny cause I'm actually reading, um, I've been reading a lot of books about feminism lately. Um, <laughs> But, like, just the idea of, you know, because, like I said, I identify with Sarah because she's the fat girl who gets picked on. And I'm like, that was me in high school. Um, But you have somebody like Kara who's dealing with the opposite problem, like getting yelled at because she's being accused of taking somebody's man. Um, And it's like, you know, it's the, the, you know, the the grass is always greener, you know. And, like, um, on the other side, like, prettier, like, you know, more attractive girls are – you know, kind of face a different set of challenges where, you know, it's like nobody wins, you know, right. no matter what, no matter what you look like, no matter what uh, body type you have, it's like women are always kind of pitted against each other. And I kind of like that, you know, at the end of all of this, um, Supergirl kind of finds her way out of that, which is is really great to see. And I think she makes the choice to find her way out of it, because from what I got out of like her little interaction with Pariah, he, he tells her, you will suffer, but you also prove a point of light in dark times if you break the chain. Yeah. And I think what she does at the end when she goes back to visit with Sarah and even her interactions with Superman, she's starting to go back and sort of make amends and and try to break that chain. chain. And that's how I think she does it. Because her mm-hmm. whole thing was, and Pariah tells her, you know, you have endured your greatest fear. You were forced to choose between killing Superman or betraying your father, and you chose a third option, hope. And I think that's sort of what she represents to me in that story is that she has a lot of struggles. She has a lot of problems. She does a lot of bad things. But in the end, she's hoping for something better all throughout the story, and that's what allows her to break that chain and, and make those things right. Yeah. Actually, let's talk a little about her um, her relationship with her father and uh, her mission to kill her cousin and all of that because um, it's interesting when uh, you know because throughout the throughout this whole trade she's having flashbacks of her father telling her to kill Kalel um, you know telling her how special she is all of that uh, but then we see a moment between her and her father where you know she's remembering it wrong. Um, and so there's, you know, even though she's kind of, you know, this is all, I guess, phantoms um, <laughs> or something. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah, I, and think, I, I, I think that's right. I, you know, and, and I have to say, like, and, and again, listeners who got to read this uh, in single issues, please tell me if it's as confusing in single issues as it is reading it all at once. Because um, I, I really couldn't keep track of what real, what was real and what wasn't. Um, you know, whether the phantoms actually were a problem or whether she was just being told they were um, and all of that. But there is the the issue where she's getting it wrong and, and remembering, you know, what her father did wrong or, or putting it in a bad light. Um, what's your take on that, Rebecca, as far as, as what actually happened versus what she remembers? I think what really happened was that Zora... And this is kind of what I hope is the case because I thought it was a really 
uh, it was a strength of the the book that there was sort of a twist in that. That's what I really liked about this story in particular is that there were a couple things where at the beginning I thought one thing and towards the end of the book I was like, oh no, that's something totally different now. And that's the case uh, with Zorel for me is that towards the beginning of the book, I'm like, yeah, he is manipulating and controlling and he's making Supergirl kill her mother. What is this? This is messed mm-hmm. up. And towards the end of the book, I think what happens is that she somehow does learn what her memories were, were sort of perversions of what really happened. So what really happened was that Zorel was concerned about Jorel opening the phantom zone and letting all these phantoms out and it was causing problems and he was actually it changed my mind about Jor- uh, <laughs> Zorel not Jorel Zorel uh, <laughs> because I sort of felt like instead of being that controlling and manipulating uh, ma- manipulative bad guy I I changed my attitude about him and I thought well you know he's actually sort of looking out for the people of Krypton and he's trying to do what's best for everybody. And he's trying to find a solution to this phantom issue. So I think what he was doing was trying to get rid of, or at least fight the phantoms. So I think he was actually trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, and that is interesting because, you know, nobody's, you know, everybody kind of thinks that their parents are perfect until, you know, you get to a certain age where you realize that your parents aren't as perfect as, as you remember or as you thought they were. Um, But for Kara, it's the opposite. She kind of always assumed that her dad was horrible and manipulative and experimented on her and made her kill her mother, and and that was not the case. Meanwhile, you know, Kal-El remembers his father as this upstanding, just man, but sometimes in the pursuit of justice, you know, people, you know, people even make mistakes when pursuing justice. Right. Um, and, you know, just because you can stick somebody in a phantom zone doesn't mean you should, um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which I thought was really interesting because I hadn't I mean, you know, I I would imagine that uh, like I'm against the death penalty. But, you know, what's the alternative, you know, and what's the you know, so how do you handle people who are violent? How do you handle people who are, you know, who are going to commit crimes again, who are mentally unstable and, and deal with all of that? And it might seem really great to just be able to put them in a phantom zone and just lock them away forever, not have to look at them. You know they're not dead, but you also have doomed them to basically insanity. You know, you know after a while they're going to go insane in there. Um and I thought it was an interesting kind of discussion to bring up uh, in the middle of of all of this that's going on with Supergirl. That like, hey, you know what? Um, there was, by the way, there was this debate going on on Krypton, and uh, they were <laughs> discussing what to do with their criminals and and how to pursue justice. Because um, as we know, Superman is all about truth, justice, and the American way. And it's like, right. but what does that mean right. exactly? <laughs> yeah, and all the stuff that that. Zorel made her do started to sort of make sense towards the end of the book to me. Like even the, you need to go and kill Kal-El. Like he was doing that because he thought, well, let's, let's stop the phantoms with him because the, the phantoms are going to follow him wherever he goes. And, you know, I don't want this to infect some other place. You know, I guess he was thinking about earth without even knowing what that was. And he was trying to stop the phantoms from infecting other people 
And even with killing her mother, I think that the way I read it was that like he was trying to set her free from a phantom, maybe. I, I, I don't know exactly if that if I read that right, but it, it sort of yeah. seemed like all of the things that he was making Kara do were to benefit other people and to stop yeah, to this. Help. Yeah, so you, even those things that seemed really violent and uh, out of character were actually because they were trying to do the right thing. So it is a really tough quandary that, you know, sometimes when you're trying to do the right things, sometimes you might actually accidentally let something bad happen as a result. So it is, it is it's a tough problem. Definitely. Um, now, just to uh, kind of switch gears a little bit, um, just because I want to make sure to get to all of this, because there's a lot going on. I mean, this is, you know, uh, nine or ten issues all in one trade. It's a pretty thick trade. Um, and it's interesting that it really is episodic. Like, there's... Um, there's the through line of Kara, obviously, and and there's certain things that that go throughout all the issues. But really, it's a lot of. It seems like a lot of standalone stories that just mm-hmm. kind of. Oh, and by the way, the Outsiders. Oh, and by the way, <laughs> Power Boy. And oh, by the way, there's other thing. Um, but I do want to talk about the Outsiders because I thought her mission with them was really interesting and kind of put her in an interesting position. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit, and especially about the. Uh, I thought the moment with the that shark creature was very interesting. Um, whatever that was. <laughs> yeah. I'd never seen those characters before. I don't know if they exist in any other stories, but that was definitely interesting. Yeah. Um, now did you happen to, um, to know like, okay, so there are these pirates. So there are these like piranha like pirates that they're trying to go after. Um, and then there is this they're keeping this uh um this creature captive um who apparently is the source of all of their power um and they're kind of slowly feeding on it um and honestly i have to say two things in this story this um and the um oh what was the other moment there was another villain that she fights in the beginning that reminded me of Doctor Who. Um, hmm. sto- stories from Doctor Who, which is, I'm like, hmm, were you ripping off Doctor Who? Because, <laughs> um, oh, it's the the dinosaur. The, uh, oh, the empathosaur? Empathosaur, yeah. Because the empathosaur, for the Doctor Who fans out there, um, the empathosaur kind of struck me as being a little bit Silurian um, because of the, the whole, you know, we gave humans the above ground and we're below and, and all of that. And as kind of the original owners of Earth. Um, and now the, you know, the humans are starting to drill down and we're feeling threatened, so we're going to attack. Um, that's a whole thing on Doctor Who. And I was like, huh, okay. Um, and then this, uh, this kind of shark creature uh, made me think of the sea whale in The Beast Below, which is in uh, the early fifth season of Doctor Who, of the new Who um, where they have this star whale who um, they're basically using as an engine to keep the human race alive, um, floating through space. This is like way in the future when there's no more Earth and the human race is kind of living on this huge spaceship. And it's powered by the star whale who basically wanted to save humanity by putting it on its back. But they think that they captured the star whale and that they have to poke it and hurt it in order to get make it go. 
Um, and basically the moral of that story is um, it came to help us. You should have just asked. Like, don't assume that you have to subdue something to, like, get it to help you. (laughs) Um, So I was actually really touched by by this creature that that Kara comes across and is asking her – you know, to put it out of its misery because it's, right. it's, it's being like slowly eaten and that is not fun. Yeah, that was a, definitely an interesting part of the story. I didn't understand it fully, but what I took away from it was that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Supergirl kind of goes undercover with him. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I understood that. Yeah, I, that's, uh, honestly... Uh, the layouts were kind of all over the place in this. And I I was having trouble following the action and what was happening to who and when, and then there were flashbacks. So I was like, what is, is this a memory? Is this actually happening? Um, So yeah, I was a little bit thrown off as well. Um, But yeah, I would assume she's undercover because otherwise why would she look like a go-go dancer? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like what is up with the sixties hair and this necklace? I I really liked that though, because Normally, when I think of Supergirl, I think of her in the costume. So it was kind of fun to see her kind of go undercover and try to take on another identity that was not her own and try mm. to work on a mission with them as a team player. And I thought that I, 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 I like that. Oh, yeah. I liked that idea. I just wasn't like, you know, I was like, why does she look like a 60s lounge singer? It's weird. Yeah. Um, but uh Oh, the hair is okay now that I'm looking at it. Um, but yeah, the the her um, dealing with the outsiders was uh, it was great and also kind of frustrating because she she's clearly not into this um, superhero life. Um, so the last thing you want to do is inflict that on a team. You know, and it's and it, you know, she talks about being selfish in the book. And this is one of her more selfish decisions. It's like, okay, so here I am. I don't even want any part of this, but I'm going to inflict my, you know, ambivalence about being a superhero on a team just so I can feel like I'm a part of something. It's like, um, maybe that's not the best idea because you're not going to be in the best headspace to actually be a member of a team. You know, like you, you, you can't be kind of, um, half-hearted about being a superhero when other people depend on you. Oh, yeah. And Nightwing actually calls her out on that. He says, I think you tried the superhero thing. Didn't work. You tried the secret identity thing. Not happening. Now you're trying the team thing. My team. Trying to find a place. And I think that's exactly what she does because we see her drop out of high school and, and quit her secret identity thing. She tried to kind of be a superhero and try to save people but that was a responsibility she kind of didn't want and so you're right I think it is kind of selfish that she tries to find a place and I think she tries to find a family is what she tells Boomer that she she just wants a, a place where she belongs a family and so this is her attempt to find that and that was kind of selfish because Nightwing even rightly tells her like you know you don't get a third chance. You don't get a third strike. You know, people's yeah. lives are on the line. Definitely. And of course, you know, she's she's doing all this as she's doodling, you know, about her and Nightwing and having her little crush. Like, <laughs> right. I, I thought that was kind of a charming moment because you see her in her notebook, in addition to her notes that she's taking about the mission, like she's oh, writing yeah. important stuff down. And then in the corner, you see like she drew her and Nightwing like with hearts around them. <laughs> it's like the most adorable thing ever. Um 
Yeah, so she tries that. It doesn't work. Then she tries something else that doesn't work, which is her relationship with Power Boy, oh, um, which yeah. bites her in the butt real quick. Um, yeah, so let's talk about that because this actually ties into the last trade or um, I believe. Wait, wait, no. Um, Apocalypse was before that. Apocalypse was. Yeah, that's um, the, the first. The first trade. Yeah. Um, that was in power. Um, right. And. Yeah, so now we've got somebody going all the way back to that who just suddenly appears and um, and professes his love for Kara and then turns out to be a psycho stalker. Um, now, I have a question for you. You might know this better than me. Uh, is Power Boy um, – has that always been Power Boy's story or is that his story for this, this – it- particular comic this was the very first time i've ever seen power boy and i would like to know more about him because uh a i thought it was kind of funny that he sort of is the male version of power girl like he has the sim- the similar costume with the the hole in the top of his costume yes, just like true. just like power girls um so i'm very very much interested in learning more about him because i i was beating myself up af- after I read the book. I was like, I should have seen that coming because, like, he's wearing all black and 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 he was almost too good to be true. And I, I was, I, I was very, uh, I was kind of punked <laughs> throughout the bit throughout the book because when he first comes on and he's like really being nice to her and like they, there's even this moment in the book where Power Boy sort of shows up at the apartment and is like, I, I thought we could hang, you know. And is this your cat? Like he picks up Streaky and, you know, he's cool with the cat and he, sh- he shows kind of a sensitive side and, and Cassie like tells Supergirl, <laughs> she's like, you know, marry him. You know, he, he's playing with your cat. And I was I was really taken with Power Boy because I was like, I, I like this guy. I think he's great. He, he you know, uh, seems to really like Kara and they go out on patrol together and they're saving people together. And I really like that she's sort of at, at this point in her life after all these failed attempts to belong and, and find people who she could hang out with. Here's this guy who seems to really like her and is doing the things that she should be doing and kind of encouraging her to do it. And then all of a sudden he turns out to be this re- abusive jerk. Like he, yeah. at one point he, he hits her through a sign which says something like, you know, make him love you. Love and you. I, I was yeah. like, oh man, that is some heavy symbolism. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and he hits her and he pulls her by her hair. Her out. Yeah. Yes. I was like, dang. And on top of that, he's got this like shrine of her picture on his wall. Like he was over the top crazy. And yeah. he, he it, it was, I was kind of, I'm going to be honest. I was disappointed. Like I was like, no, you were supposed to be a good guy. I liked yeah. you. And then he became this guy who was irredeemable in my eyes. And even Kara's like, um, no, uh, no one who says he loves you should hit you. Ever. Yeah. And I thought that was a good message to get across that she was not going to put up with that. And Definitely. Uh, I, uh, I was really disappointed by the, t- the, t- the, the turn that he made, but I, I liked the way that she handled the, that situation. Now I have to say something that I had mixed feelings about, because um, I definitely, I love how she handled it. I love that, you know, there was never a moment where, like, after he was violent with her, there was never a moment where she was, like, vacillating about, oh, well, maybe I should be with him anyway. Maybe, oh, he, whatever. Like, no, that doesn't fly with her. But 
there was this uh, the moment where he gives her the um, the strength dampeners and like you know brings <laughs> brings her back to his like crazy love lair with all <laughs> yeah. the pictures of her, which is super creepy. Um, and he describes his power, and I guess part of his power is that he he absorbs other people's feelings. Um, and I don't know if that's true or if he was just talking out of his butt, but like. He, he says this thing where he says, I feel, feel everyone else's hate, love, pain, fear, and it becomes this. Of course, you saw what happens when it goes the other way, but I hope you understand. And basically, he was telling her it's because she's been so angry and he absorbed that. So that's what came out. And so it's like, well, one, I mean, that's what abusers, abusers do. Often they, they blame, you know, you made me do this. Um, but it's what his power is based in. If he does absorb other people's emotions and she is this angry. I was kind of like, mm, is the comic kind of implying that it is partly her fault? Like, because she's like going through this tumultuous change and like, you know, now they're saying, oh, well, power, this wouldn't have happened to Power Boy if she hadn't been so angry. I was kind of like, oh, that squicked me a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't much care for that. But it did sort of, I guess, give uh, a little bit of, I guess I felt a little empathy for him when he explained that, like, oh, he, he, he may not be able to control it. But at the same time, I'm, I'm with you. I'm like, her, her situation should not have affected him to that degree that he was going to be physically abusive to her. Like, that, that is kind of squicky. And, right. Uh, I, I have some mixed feelings about that. But I think overall, I think Kara, when she figured that out, she kind of put an end to it. And, and I sort of also didn't like that Power Boy said he wanted to fix Supergirl. And I guess yes. maybe, and maybe in some ways he wanted to, he was trying to say, like, I want to help you. you yeah. Know, I, I know you have problems. I want to fix them. You know, I want to do what I can to help you. But when, when he said fix you, I, yeah. I, I didn't like that because, you know, what did that mean? Did that mean that she was broken and she needed to be a certain way? Like, I, I, I was just glad that Supergirl, when she finally figured out what he was about, that she was like, and we're going to break up. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and also, it's, it's funny because as I, as I was talking about, you know, whether or not there was a mixed message, um, immediately after he talks about how his power works, he then talks about how he first saw her on Apocalypse and how immediately he fell in love with her and immediately had to follow her to another dimension and <laughs> whatever. And then I was like, oh, okay, so he's just crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. No, matter what, no matter what his power does, he was, he was crazy to begin with. The powers are just an added bonus, so to speak. Like he started out as being an obsessive creepy stalker and now he's an obsessive creepy stalker with powers. So fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's God. better without him. She's way better. I think we're all better without him. <laughs> I mean, although, you know, it's fascinating as a character. Like, I, I was like, oh, because Apocalypse, you know, every time we go back to Apocalypse, I'm always kind of intrigued by by that place as a planet, as, you know, people come from there. And then you have somebody like Berta who, you know, wants to leave it behind and start a new life. And then you have other people who are like warriors and they, they want to just serve Darkseid and, you know, and have that life. Um, so I'm intrigued by his kind of origin and, and where, you know, how he came into play, but I, I, I don't necessarily need to ever see him again. I guess. <laughs> he was a good villain anyway. He was a good villain. Um, so 
what did you think about uh, about the trade as a whole, about the story, um, just in general, likes and dislikes to wrap up the conversation? Well, I guess I have two big takeaways, and I sort of already mentioned them, but it I think identity puts Candor the, the, that trade paperback into perspective for me. Like it, it made sense as to why Kara went into Candor because they didn't really kind of explain that in that one. So I feel like if I can kind of go backwards, then I guess Kara was just running away from all of her problems and her responsibilities and the pressure to wear the S and she, she just wanted to get away. And I guess that's why she goes into Candor. So that sort of makes sense to me now. <laughs> I kind of wish it was like, it had been a little bit explained, but I can kind of take something away from identity and kind of put it with candor. So that makes sense to me now. And I loved the idea that this book kept me guessing and it made me think about something that I had previously learned and I, there were some twists because, and, and I also think that this book was better at telling kind of one story, whereas with candor, I was like, what is happening? What is going on here? I don't understand. Even though there was a lot going on in this one, I at least could kind of follow along a, a through line and uh, kind of know what was what was going on. Yeah. It's funny because I kind of had the opposite reaction as far as like uh, this being more difficult and, and all over the place to understand. But I think you're right in that the the through line really was the characters. And I think that's where this – uh, this trade trumps the uh, trumps candor is um, is with the characters. Um, I think the relationships are much stronger here. Um, I think Kara's internal journey is stronger in this book than it is in the last one. Um, and we really get to 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 go into her head and see kind of every facet of what she's going through. Um, and I really liked that a lot. Um, uh, I mean, structurally, I was kind of like, mm, I don't, eh, all over the place, kind of insane. Um, how it reads as a trade is not, like, I just felt like somebody punched me in the face. Like, <laughs> I, after I was done reading this, I felt like I had just gone through a marathon. And I'm like, I don't know if a comic's supposed to make me feel like I've just done hard labor. Um, <laughs> but uh, the one thing that this book did make me think about um and I guess the, the doing this podcast has made me think about uh, regarding Supergirl as a character is that I don't feel like I've actually met her yet um, because every incarnation of Supergirl that we've talked about thus far and, and, you know, which has been how I've been experiencing Supergirl as a new character because as you all know, I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm new to this, to this character and to her title. Um, she's constantly evolving and changing um, because she's young and because she's going through growing pains and, and all of that. And um, I wonder, you know, and this, you know, goes to the show as well. Like, I wonder when we're actually going to meet who Kara Zorel becomes um, or is it always, are we going to be kind of stuck in this cycle of we're kind of always meeting her for the first time. She's kind of always, you know, and obviously people change all the time, you know, um, but there's a difference between like the changes people go through throughout their whole lives and the changes you go through between being a child and being an adult. Um, cause there is a certain point, like, you know, I'm in my, you know, mid thirties now, as much as it pains me to say. Um, and I feel like for all intents and purposes, like obviously I'm still growing and changing, right. but there's a core of me that I know 
where I know who I am. Right. Um, and it's interesting that through all the incarnations of Supergirl that we've read, I uh, there are certain similar character traits between versions, but I don't feel like I know her. Um, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's just something I noticed. I think this this book tried to point out who she should be, but I think it also had her struggle with, well, am I that person or do I want to be that person? So I, I think there was a lot of good questions about her identity and I kind of felt like I knew her a little bit better. You were talking about, you know, do I know her? Well, I think this book kind of helped me know her a little bit better in, in what she struggles with as a superpowered person with an S on, on her costume and what she, what that means for her. So I, I think there's a lot of good questions in that book about what it means to be who you are and, and how you can grow and change. So I think those are all really good points. Definitely. Yeah, I think this book is is thought-provoking, certainly. Um, oh, and I just want to be clear. I, I mean, I was kind of joking when I said this, but I do not – I am not pained to be in my mid-30s. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm very happy to be I'm my right age. There with you. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> so on that note, uh, on accepting who you are and uh, not being afraid to be yourself, um, that wraps up our uh, Supergirl identity discussion. Um And now that we have tackled that, uh, before we wrap up the show, as always, let's get to some listener feedback. Well, we got a a great comment on the website from a listener named Mithrander or Lauren, who said this about Superman Unbound. What idea it covers that I find interesting is the notion that, ironically, because Kara grew up on Krypton, she can understand humanity better. Because they didn't have powers on Krypton, she knows what it feels like to be helpless. So I thought that was a great comment because that's something I actually hadn't even thought about is that she, when she's on Krypton, she has no superpowers. So that's, that ex- is- it's exactly like living on Earth. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so Superman Unbound, when they, when they mentioned throughout the movie that she feels helpless, I, I, I like to think that she knows, like the comment says, like she understood what it was like to be helpless because she was at a point in her life before when she didn't have powers. That is a really great um, observation. And thank you, uh, Mithrander Lauren, <laughs> for uh, leaving that comment because that's a great point and a great, a great insight. Um, and yeah, like I think that's also what feeds into her relationship with Lois in that movie, for example. Um, you know, she kind of gets things from that perspective. Um, and... Yeah, I agree. I I think she she understands humanity because she's been there, um, and that's that's really. Uh, I wonder. I don't think Superman acknowledges that at all. Um, as far as like, because he's always constantly teaching her. You know, you have to blend in. This is how humanity is, and I don't think he ever acknowledges that with her. I hope he would after he was in Candor and had to experience not having powers. I, mm. I, I hope he would learn that lesson after his yeah. experience there. But yeah, you're right. I don't know if if uh, he did that prior to that experience. But uh, yeah, I think it's something that super powered people sometimes need to go through to to be able to learn that they can do things without their power. So I think that was something that Kara just knew instinctively in Superman Unbound because she had been there before. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thanks for that comment. And if you want to contact Supergirl Radio, you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. You can post a comment on our website, 
supergirlradio.com. And you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. And also available on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you have time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write a review. And we are part of the DC TV Podcast Network. So if you also like Gotham, Arrow, and The Flash, subscribe to our DC TV Podcast Mega Feed and follow at DC TV Podcast on Twitter and like DC TV Podcast on Facebook. And be sure to stay connected uh, with us through DC TV Podcast because we're working on something special for May. So stay tuned for that. Definitely. Um, and I think you guys are really going to dig it, um, especially if you're into all the D- DC TV stuff. So stay tuned. Um, you uh, can find me all over the internet. Um, I'm at the Mary Sue, uh, so you can check us out there. Um, I'm on Twitter at Teresa Giacino. Uh, my blog is called the Teresa Giacino Experience, um, so you can plug that into uh, Google. Um, and that's my Facebook uh, handle as well, so facebook.com slash Teresa Giacino Experience. Um, and I'm on Patreon as well, blah, blah. Type me into Google. You can find stuff. <laughs> well, you can check me out on Twitter at DerbyKid. That's D-E-R-B-Y-K-I-D. And watch videos I've shot and edited on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. That's D-U-C-K-M-I-L-K-P-R-O-D. And I'm hoping to get some videos in the next couple of weeks. I've got a big uh, Caribbean cruise video that I shot, and that's that's uh, almost finished. So I'll have that uh, coming up. So if you want to see my Ooh. experience on a cruise ship and everything that uh, my mom and my brother and I did, um, I'll have that coming up. And I just this last weekend went to the National Cornbread Festival in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee for the first time. So, oh, my God, <laughs> I, I saw those pictures and I was so jealous. I'm like, I want to go to a cornbread festival. Yeah, I just I shove it all in my face. <laughs> I just found out about it last year. So this is the first time to go. And they actually had a, an apple popper. And so there was actually like a little cornbread with like a slice of apple inside of it. And I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I will hope to have that posted in the coming weeks. So uh, check out my YouTube channel. Awesome. Uh, Well, join us next week on Supergirl Radio when we will be discussing Supergirl Beyond Good and Evil. Till then, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Teresa Giacino. Do yourselves and each other a favor. Be yourselves. Be yourselves.